0: Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I am being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I am walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I am increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ear to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it is making me more and more like the Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus. All right. Amen. If you believe that, say an amen. Amen. All right. Quickly, let's read down the two portions of, this, of the Bible that we have been using for some time, which we tried to use last time, but um, we went the way we did and spoke extensively about activating the ability of God that is inside your heart. I remember I said that God never sends you to do something or never calls you to do something. If you find yourself called to do anything, there is enablement present inside you. All right? It doesn't mean the enablement is natural. When God wanted to send um, Jeremiah out, Jeremiah just assumed that it has to do with his natural abilities. And God said, no, it's, it has to do with my calling. And once I call you, I pour my spirit upon you. And that is the enablement that you need. All right, the book of Matthew chapter 14. Let's read that again. We've read this many times, so I'll make it quick. From verse 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. The disciples had told them in verse 22 to go to the other side ahead of him. In as said in verse 24, the boat was already a long distance, but it was being uh, disturbed by the waves. I'm summarizing. And then after some time, verse 25, he came towards them walking on the sea. Now let me slow down, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. That is, I'm giving you courage. Collect your portion. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's a very nice way to read that thing. Did you see what I read? Take courage. He said, give me my portion. All right? <laughs> like we said last time, how do you respond to that? There's one word. Amen. Say it again. Amen. The Lord said, take courage. You just say, I receive it. The word is amen. That is, courage is mine. All right? He said, do not be afraid. The Bible now tells us that Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said to him, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now let's stop reading here. That's what we've been reading okay, again and again. Remember, Peter came out on water according to the word of God. There was a commandment of God that he should walk on water. Yet, he began to sink. That tells us that the fact that God issued a word does not mean we will not sink. It means we have to be careful that we don't sink. There are things we do to ensure we don't sink. And that's what this um, set of teachings is about. Okay? This is our school of prayer. We are learning how to pray effectively. What should Peter have done? That's what we're looking at. And the th- thing we have been on for some time is the issue derived from the third commandment that God gave to Moses uh, for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Now here, Peter looked, what was the source of his fear? It was because he was afraid he might die. He was afraid that this wind, um, these waves will overtake him, collapse on his head, and cause him to drown and die. That's what he was afraid of. Bear that in mind. Those are the things he looked at. When he saw the things around him, he said, these things are dangerous. When he saw the way the economy was behaving, the man said, these things are dangerous. When he saw the way they are downsizing in his office, the man said, these are difficult times. When he saw the amount of money that the politicians wasted, all right, this man said, these are difficult times. When he saw that, you know, like somebody said here that day, that they said is a uh, man said don't give my house to a banker <laughs> he has a new house or my come and rent says a banker don't give him my house say so why he said his job is not secure <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's what they call perilous times okay and nobody has a secure job Do you follow what i'm saying you know there are many places people are rushing to now thinking that their work is very secure but no there is nothing like that these times, they change so easily. They change so easily. Once I was telling them, I was discussing my mother. My younger brother, I heard that he applied in NMPC. And I never knew he wanted to do anything to do with um, oil business. So I said, ah, what is all of this? Ah, my mother said, you know, said this thing is government. It's very secure. I said, ah, mommy, go and ask those who work in NITEL. That was what I said that day. I said, go to NITEL and ask them. It used to be very secure. But then times change. That's just the way life is. So people look and say, these are difficult times. Yet you wanted to go to um, one foreign country that time, and somebody said, stay around, sow in the land. And you obey that word. And you see difficult times. It looks like your business is not doing well. You look for capital, nobody's answering you. But I thought it was because, you know, I had a word last year. That's why I launched out, resigned from where I was working, where I had a good job to start this business. Now things are rough. I can't get capital. The change in the um, availability of forex has affected my ability to import or pay for maybe even loans I took in U.S. dollars. How do I handle? Look at all of these things. Those are the things that the Bible all right, is implying by the wind. Those are the things that Peter looked at and he became afraid. I want to say to the children of God again, Peter did not sink. Now listen, there are two ways to look at life. You can look at it from the natural perspective. We can go to school, which is what science does, whether it's um, pure science or, or social science. That's what they do. They go and sit down and analyze the physical reasons why the pillars of this world sink. So they will sit down there and say, what was the weight of St. Peter? Hypothetical weight of Peter. Peter was a fisherman, he must have built some muscles. He was about this particular age, so it would have been like this, and there was a Jew, an average Jew would have been about this height to so calculate this. So Peter may have been like about, um, let's say, uh, 91 kg. All right, put that down. What is it square uh, the area of his foot? All right, each of his feet, they find it, and okay, measure the um, the pressure per square inch. Of his foot. Let's compare that with the surface tension of water. Don't forget that this water is tumultuous at this point. Write that down. And they will give you all the calculations. But listen, that's what physicists do. At the end of the day, they say the reason why Peter sank was because he overcame the Archimedes principle that was causing him to levitate above the each, all kinds of stories. The covalent bonding of the water molecules has been disturbed by the planktons that were. <coughs> what is the summary? Peter should not have gone out of that boat. That was why he sank. And they will be correct every step of the way, looking under the sun. Long story. But when you ask God in heaven, why did Peter sink? He said, unbelief. So what about the dy the and the integral calculation of all of this? It has nothing to do with it. It's, those are the manifestations of unbelief. So you are saying, Lord, if Peter was lighter, he still would sink, yes? If he had faith and he was heavier, would he sink? No. Why did he sink? Unbelief. Why did you doubt? God didn't say, you know, I've been telling you, the way you were eating Peter. You see, I need to come to it. One day, you're going down. You now come to church and say, 17 advantages of a low body weight. In the time of storm, you will float. Somebody turn to your neighbor. Float. <laughs> you know, the Lord looked at the, all of these things. Peter sang because of what? Unbelief. What am I saying? No matter the difficulty outside, if your faith is proper, I like that expression. If your faith is proper, you will survive. Amen. You will float. Amen. The water will not pull you down. Amen. That is the word of God. Let me just say this again. You know, I said that's one level. You can look at life at two levels. That's one level. All the explanations, the certificate he has, how he took his decisions, all of those things are not the real reasons. The real reason is spiritual. In Peter's case, Jesus said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It was when the man doubted that he went down. So what are we looking at? How to live so we don't doubt. Now, please don't forget on Saturdays, I'm teaching on total faith, and maybe next, um, this Saturday or the one after, I'll be talking about the faith for finances, total faith for finances. We'll talk about it, all right? Now, let's just continue looking at how, how should Peter have uh, reacted. Now, last time, I, I began to look at some, let's go back there again, um, that book of uh, Exodus chapter 20, I just feel like I'm explaining these things again and again until it is printed in the heart of Christians, From that book of Exodus chapter 20, we have the foremost of the commandments that God gave to Israel. The total number of commandments, laws, bylaws, with 613. People know 10. Don't you thank God you are not a Jew. <laughs> if you are a Jew, you will need to keep 613 codes, laws, commandments, bylaws, ordinances, for you to be sure you are doing what God says you should do. Alright? Jesus just summarized everything down. And said, Love the Lord with all your hearts. Love your neighbors as yourself. Upon these two hang all the laws and the prophets. I'm looking at the first three again and again. The laws have to do with, um, how to relate with worship. Which God you serve and which God you do not serve. There are three of those laws. The first one is in verse 2. You shall have no other gods before me or besides me. And that is easy to understand. If people are worshipping Molech, you are not to worship Molech. Uh, But let me not use Molech as an example or Baal. Let's use Allah as an example. That's because the reason why I'm using that like I did last time is to help you understand that even the Muslims don't want you to draw Allah. Who's talking about Allah? Muhammad, you are not allowed to even draw Muhammad. If you see all this shooting and killing in Europe, a lot of them is because people draw cartoons, and they say, this is Muhammad. Meanwhile, anyway, for us, not we even know those who acted Jesus. We don't care. All right? It's true. We don't care. All right? Uh-huh. But for them, they said it's blasphemy. But God said something similar to that. You do not make... Um, and we'll get that in, in a moment. The reason I'm using that as an example. He so said there must be no other gods, whether it's a god you draw or the one you have an image of or, or one you don't. Once it is not God the Father... Uh, in this particular context, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, you must not worship any other God. That's the first one. The second one, he said, you must not make for yourself any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above, that is or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. What was he saying here? Even if you think it's the true God in the heavens, don't make an image of Elohim. Don't make an image of Jehovah God. Don't make an image of the angels of God. Don't make an image of the creatures of God so as to worship them. Even if you think this this is the genuine God. The third commandment, I'm just repeating all of these things so that we will learn them very well. The third commandment is the one most Christians misunderstand. Not Christians, everybody I know misunderstands this. And they they seem to emphasize on um, don't use the name of God anyhow. Don't swear in the name of God. Don't use the name of God flippantly. No. But what does he say? You shall not take the... That's the third one in verse 7. Um, seven. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Or literally, using the Young's literal translation, You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God for a vain thing. So what was God saying here? Yes, there must be no other God. Two, Don't make any image. Third, You will find beautiful images in the land. One day you are going to get there and see the temple that they builds to Baal. You are going to see the temple they built builds to Molech. You are going to see the images, all right, and festivals around these things. He said, don't take the name of the Lord thy God and use it to replace the name of that idol. And now say, this idol, you are no longer Molech. You are now the true God. You understand what I'm saying? You know, my name used to be Ogun Shino, right? I changed it to Olu Shino. More than once, I had discussions with people. Some say, you see, the truth is that... Uh, this is a, one, uh, one of my colleagues. He's a Yoruba man. He was saying that was not a necessary change. I said, Why? That I'm a Christian. I don't serve the gods of the people. So why should I bear their names? He said, Really, that name, he began to give me a long story. I felt like I said, but we all grew up in this place. So we did these things in school. And Nogu is a god of iron. And he was a human being that died and was canonized. And after canonizing him, people began to worship him has been somebody that will help them pray to the bigger God. Something that's very common with some of us Christians. Say the high God is so God. So you have a patron saint of this, a patron saint of that. All of those things are based on the common idolatries of the people. It's not new, all right? They were doing it in Europe. They did it in Africa, all right? So they gave names and said, you help us pray. Listen, there is only one mediator between God and man. Read through your Bible. Jesus is the only person... And you don't even ask him to help you pray. You pray in his name. He knows how he offers his own intercessions before the Father. All right? So people did all of that. So my colleague, my, someone asked me that, that, no, you don't need to change your name. That, as if, what, what are they saying? Just remove that. Just now understand that Ogun is actually the, I said, I have heard, thank you. The discussion is unnecessary. But what was God saying? Don't sanctify their idols. Don't take the name of the Lord your God and place it on a vain idol. Don't come to a temple and say, this temple is beautiful. It used to be called um, the Temple of Molech. Say so remove that name, Molech. It's so fine. Call it the Temple of El Shaddai. And they will not come here. And be, God said, no, break the temple down. Reduce it to ashes. Reduce it to rubble. I don't want to see any memory of it. That's th- that was the third commandment. Don't take the name of the Lord your God and place it on a vain thing. Now what is the practical application for us as Christians again today? What is God, not just the person you bow before or raise your hands towards. It is a person to whom you look in expectation. David said, our eyes are upon you, O God, as the eyes of the master um, of the servant looks to the hand of the master, as the hands of the maid looks to the hands at the eyes of the maid, sorry, looks to the hands of the mistress. So our eyes are on you, O God. That is the person that you put your eyes on, is also your God. Are you getting that, that point here? That's just the way it is. Where where is your eyes foco- Where are your eyes focused? That's also it. God is a source of life. It's a source of everything. So if you start looking at anybody and say this is the source of this, then you are taking the name of the Lord your God. And you have placed it on a vain thing. I've been saying that again and again. Christians must understand it. So if you say, I, "For me to prosper, I must live here and go to where prosperity is flowing easy," you have taken the name of the Lord, that I God, and you have placed it on geographical location. If you say that. Um, for me to do well, I have to leave this profession and go to another profession. And you're not saying it as a matter of responding to the call of God for your life so that you are trying to obey what God said you should do. You're just saying it because you say, this is a source of prosperity. What you are doing is that you have taken the name of the Lord, their God, and you have placed it on a vain thing, which is a profession. These are the things that we do. People every day take the name of the Lord, their God, and put it on diet. They put, take the name of the Lord, their God, God, put it on human doctors. All right? They take the name of the Lord, their God, and they put it on um, exercise for health. God said it like this, I am the Lord that he led thee. That is the end of it. Why did the man die? Is it because his diet was bad? No, his spirit of death took him. Now, let's get back to Peter. What was Peter supposed to have done? Peter should have realized that that water didn't have the power of life. It did not have the power of death. Remember I said, why was Peter afraid? It was fear of death. And Jesus said to us clearly, it's a commandment. Don't fear anything that can only hurt the flesh. Even if that could kill, Jesus said, don't be afraid of it. There are commandments that he gave. Peter was looking at this, water may make up its mind to kill me. Jesus said, no, you are not alive because, like what one of my brothers said, he said, safety is not the absence of danger, it is the presence of God. Are you getting my point? Let me say it again. Safety is not the absence of danger. Safety is when God is present. That is, even if it's a fiery furnace and God is in there, the place is safe. No matter how dangerous it looks, it's whether God is there or not that's actually the barometer for measuring danger. That's why I read the story before. I told the story which I read of um, a man called Stonewall Jackson. In battle, the man didn't used to dodge. I mean, it was a military commander during the American um, Civil War. And the man is in front. His soldiers are following him. The man wouldn't dodge. He said they used to find bullet holes in his clothes, and he wouldn't be injured. The Lord had to deliberately remove the man from, from, from life, so that, because he was on the other side, he was on the conf- conf- Confederate side, and the Lord wanted America to remain as a single country. So he died one day by accident. That is, his men killed him by mistake. So that you know that his death was an interesting one. He had been fighting enemy soldiers. They couldn't kill him. And they asked the man why. He said, hey, I am as safe in the battlefield as I am in my bedroom if I am in the will of God. So for him, safety was being in the will of God. Not whether you are at home or you are uh, on the battlefield. Do you understand? So safety is not the absence of danger, it is the presence of God. If God is with you, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear any evil. Evil will not come to you. A thousand may fall by your side, ten thousand at your right hand, none will come near you. That is the word of God. If God is with you, you are safe anywhere. Are you getting the point I'm making here? So that's what we're talking about, how Peter should have responded. Peter should have kept the name of God and given it to God. I said something before. One of the major things we must learn to do as Christians is watch how our mouths talk. That is where we express our faith first. When we are praying, now I'm back to the matter of prayer now. How do we pray? We spend our time to acknowledge who God is. It's not just to talk to God about our problems, but to tell our problems who God is. Very important. That is, look, look, Peter, look at the water and tell the water, no matter how dangerous you look, you can't kill. Unless God says, it's my time to die. The power of my life is not in your hands. That is how we look at things as believers. We look at them from the spiritual angle. The economy of any nation cannot make you poor. Do you hear what I said? It can't make you poor. There, there, there's no economy that can make you rich also. You know, people, you know, when you hear Christians, the human beings, forget Christians now, human beings talk, you just look at you know, just common ignorance will let you know the people are just behaving foolishly. They are those who want to die to go to Europe or go to America, and you can't realize that the money there is not free. The money there is not free. Greece is on strike again. <laughs> Was it last week they started, they are calling it strike again? It's a European country, it's not an African country where they are white. Americans too have problems. You can be in the United States and not have a job. Employment benefits are given to those who are unemployed, which means that some people are unemployed, and they don't give you for a long time. you get it for a short period. There's problem everywhere. If you say on the average, then that's my next question. Who said you are average? Don't you declare all the time that I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ? You are not an average person. What happens to you is not a matter of chance. This is how we reason. That's our faith. If there are a thousand people looking for a particular job, if that job is yours, only you will get it. Like I say all the time, with the Christian, there's no luck. Oh, that boy was lucky. It doesn't exist with the believer. Luck is our own colloquial expression. It's a colloquial expression for what we call a blessing or an appointment. I was reading um, this man's book, Zak Punen, the Indian teacher. How did he become an author? I think he missed, if I remember well. Okay, he went to preach somewhere. And the thing is he preached, the people were not happy with him. So they didn't treat him well. They were supposed to use a car to take him to the next place he was going. So they did, they did not agree to carry him in the car. So they left him to go and take a bus. And the bus was crowded. Let's make a long story short. He happened to be standing next to somebody else that came for that same conference. Or who happened to have heard his name, and that fellow was either a book was a was a writer, or a representative of a publishing company. You understand? And that's how his writing life began. Of the hundreds of millions of people in India, he was inside a bus where he couldn't sit down because it was congested. But then he stumbled into somebody who God used to launch him into writing. There are no accidents in life. For you as a believer, there is no accident. They said um, the uh, opportunity comes but once. You know it's a lie. That's not the gospel of the man that is blessed. The woman that is blessed does not believe that. If opportunity comes and I'm not at home, it will come back. When you are trying to call somebody, they say the number is not available. What do you do? You keep on trying. You say, I tried to call you, you were not there. You will keep on trying. And that's how it is. If God says this blessing is mine, it is mine. If you keep on checking on me until I come back, it won't go somewhere else. Blessings have what? Names. How do I know that? Pastor I just imagine you know. The Bible says from there, God commanded the blessing. Which tells you, blessings are commanded. They don't just move. God, the Lord doesn't do tumba, tumba. You know tumba, tumba. Close your eyes. Yeah, who I touch? Now, nah, David, sir. All right, me King. No. You won't see an angel Just go and say Hmm, 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 hmm What are you doing Angel Gabriel? I'm looking for a new king For Israel Anybody Anybody this thing is touched. <laughs> he's Just tossing his um, Whatever sticks And then maybe David is just passing Just hit David on the head And now phone God Say Ah, Father God There's one boy David I, He was the one that took. Say okay Does he look okay? Yes. Say yes Okay tell Samuel To anoint him Doesn't do like that Tell Samuel Go to the house of Jesse. I have appointed a king for myself from amongst his sons. And that one goes there and starts looking for the king that God appointed. David was not at home when Samuel came. You remember that story? Yes, sir. Since David is not around now, just annoy. This boy too looks good. Looks like a king. He so said, Let's look for the one closest to him. Since you don't want the tallest and oldest, let's take his brother immediately older than him. No. David said, we will not, uh, Samuel said, we will not settle down until that boy arrives. And when he came in, the Spirit of God said, arise. Anoint him. This is he. It's not a mistake. This is he. Blessings are commanded. Somebody say amen. amen. What am I saying? We don't look and say, if I don't go here, I will not prosper. We give God his proper name. Please go and listen to the series we have here, titled The Seven Names of God. In that series, I did not teach name one, name two, name three, name four. I chose the um, number seven just to illustrate, like we say in spiritual numerology, that seven is a number of perfection. I, I read it like that. I was not there when they appointed seven as a number of perfection, but I just meant it like that, so I use it like that, too, as a preacher. Don't just be disagreeing with people anyhow, if you don't have a good reason. So... <laughs> So that's why I chose. I chose also said no. Seven is the perfect number. said, fine. The Lord is good. Now, so seven is our number is a number of perfection. So when we did that series, we called it um, the seven names of God, just to explain the fact that the name of God is perfect, but you can't count it, and it's actually innumerable. That's why we chose the word seven, the uh, the number seven. It's not as if Jehovah this, Jehovah that, Jehovah no. Actually, as far as you are concerned, the name of God is in English. It's not in Hebrew. All right? Don't believe all these people that say they speak Hebrew in heaven. I don't know why people just wake up and just be saying things. When God wanted to teach us New Testament, he used Greek. Hebrew couldn't carry it. That's not a joke. God deliberately chose Greek to bring forth the revelation of Jesus because Hebrew was not deep enough to explain the fine details inside it. God had to bring up a man, what they call, they call him, Alexander the Great, who taught his people what they call Koine Greek. He virtually invented that, that version of Greek language so that God may use it to pass across this revelation. It's one of the most detailed you know, languages. The tenses are plenty. Listen, the name of God is not Hebrew. The name of God is English, if you speak English. It's Swahili, if you are speaking Swahili. His names are in Hausa, if you are Hausa. His names are in Igbo, if you are Igbo. His names are in Yoruba, if you are speaking Yoruba. His, name, his names are in Portuguese, if you are speaking Portuguese. And if you are speaking Chongchai, his names are short, like that. Now, so the point I'm just making is that, so the names of God, they are in your language. Why? Because they describe his character. They describe his character. And that's what I'm talking about. The names of God describe his character. There's always something about him that the name describes. I listened to David Poston teach on there is no God but Abba. And you see the way he derived why he says that they should teach the Arabs. What He said don't ever use the word Allah for God. That is not. That Allah is another God. That God the Father for our Lord Jesus, his name is not Allah. That Allah is not a common name for God in that society. The common name for God there is Elah. That's why there is no Elah but Allah. So the, the name that David Person rejects it in its entirety. Say, so what should you call God Therefore, He said, there is no God but Abba. And you see how he described it. Why? Because Jesus brought forth the revelation of God as Father. So the proper name in that language for God should be Abba, that is to let them know that God is our Father. In our own language, too, God is Father. Babaloke, you know, you've heard that one before. That's our Father in heaven. If you hear Yoruba man say Babaloke, that is the God above, the Father above. Not the one down, not the one in the house, not the one that asks you where are you coming from. No. The one that follows you everywhere, <laughs> the one that sees you where you're hiding. That, do you get my point? And that's how God is. So his names are innumerable. Please go and listen to the series. The seven names of God. There are names of God you have not yet discovered. And there will be no revelation of power in your life until you understand that name. He said, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why did He emphasize it like that? Many people are not calling upon his name. They just know he's God. But in that situation, what name does he bear? That's it. If you want to be saved, say, God, what's your name in this situation? And there are simple names. Like he will say to you, is he is the provider. Forget the name, Jaira. Um, Jaira Jair is Greek. is Hebrew. Use the one that you will quickly remember when you are in trouble. The one that has a meaning, you know, for you provider. Use, use it if, if that's how it's, it communicates best to you that God provides. Call him that name. That's what it means when you're talking about calling upon the name of the Lord. It's not just say oh, anybody that just shouts uh, God Jesus you'll be saved. No. It's a person who understands what God bears in the midst of his difficulty. So when you say savior it should have the meaning Listen, if a woman like that woman that had, um, that was caught in adultery, that was about to be stoned, when she calls Jesus Savior, you know he has a meaning. That's a meaning. When I he say He's the Savior, he say, I know. Why? The men had stones. They were about to land those stones on my skull. Then He came and saved me. He understands Savior. She understands Savior. When he said, go and sin no more. And after that, she received the power to walk above the temptation of the society. She understood who the Savior was. So, once she says Savior, she knows what you're talking about. What am I saying? This is how we pray, especially in the midst of difficulty. In every part of our life, we continue to magnify the name of God. It is not to just shout, hey, God, be magnified, be magnified, be magnified. God say, what do you mean now? What do I do? I like my size currently. (laughs) I don't know whether you're getting my point. I can't change my size. This my size is my size. It's infinite. Oh, be magnified. With which magnifying glass? Okay, if it's should be magnified, it shows that it is not me. It is you that needs to see clearer. Why do you magnify things when they are too small? You can't see them. You bring out a magnifying glass. So when you are saying God should be magnified, what, he, what, what are you talking about? It's you that needs to be magnified in your life. And when you, are, when you are saying that, what you are saying is what he is should become clearer to you. And that thing should become the center point. Like we're talking about economy now. Magnifying God simply means that every day you wake up, you know, you buy newspaper, they tell you, all my life, I've never seen Naira fall against the dollar like this. And I was an adult when it began to fall. I was in university when it started from four naira. I've been around for a while. I spent naira when I was what am I saying? When it was one to one, I was already I was a grown child. I was not a, I was not an adult. But by the time I became an adult, when I could understand things, it was like three naira. I was I was in university when it began to slide. And one of my friends was a econo- was a banking and finance student. We were on holiday once, and he told me that. His professor said it will reach 10 Naira. They should watch it. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> that it will get to 10 Naira. Because then it was like, it, 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 has, it has slid down to 4. And we're saying that, ah, this is serious. How can it be 4 Naira? And the man came to tell him that she forget that his, his prof said it's going to reach 10. Sounds like a joke now, right? <laughs> now you see that happening every day. There are many ways to respond. You sit down and start discussing. I don't know what's going on. This is what's happening. Why is it? You're not little. That's okay. You don't be calling human names. Magnifying CBN governors. Magnifying presidents. Magnifying political parties. Are you getting my... Magnifying ex-presidents. Ex-CBN governors. Magnifying economic policies. Magnifying petroleum. Magnifying non-oil exports. Magna, you just magnify everything but God. And I wonder why you are not sleeping well. And this thing, the word becomes flesh. The word becomes what? Flesh. That's just the way it is. How do you respond? Instead of all of this discussion, you look at it, he said, not from the east, not, the, not from the west comes exaltation. Not even from the south. God is judge. That is what they call magnifying God. You say, God is judge. He's the one that decides whether I prosper or I don't. I commend my conscience to him. That's all. And you take time out. Don't just say it and pass. Take time out. That's when you should. Those are the times for waking up at night. Don't ever wake up at night to pray against the devil. That is giving you too much respect. Are you getting my point? Don't do it. Don't wake up at night to worry. That's not good. It's not compatible with health and long life. If you want to wake up at night, you wake up at night to take time out to explain to the Lord, to yourself, and to all the evil spirits listening. <laughs> the angels, the evil spirits overhearing. You're not talking to them, you're just overhearing. The Lord, hmm, yesterday, before we slept, I heard that Naira has now hit 320, and I have some serious prophetic word that says it's going to reach 400. So, I just want you to know that my heart will not be afraid. Lord, the price of this local currency and that of the international currency is not God. Lord, my business does not depend on these things. In the midst of adversity, you don't change. Currencies can change, but you will never change. My hope is hooked on you and you alone. You are, my anchor is in you. Are you getting what I'm saying? And you say that for an hour. Look, by the time you, you're done, you wake up next morning, new ideas on how to overcome the troubles to come to your heart. What I've told you is a matter of fact. Every challenge in life has opportunities. Listen, the time Naira nine, nine first began to slide, was it, that was in the days of Structural Adjustment Program. This is the interesting part. Before that time, Nigeria had very few rich people. There were very few. After that time, they, were, they increased in number more than tenfold. Meanwhile, the people who were poor were getting poorer.